As we stand in this sanctuary today, would you hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. She arose and served them. Let's say that together. She arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word. And he healed all who were sick. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, today we can declare with the psalmist, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. We can say with the psalmist, who have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. We can confess, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, in this place today, we, we honestly and we directly confess our weakness and our need, and we give you thanks for your strength. We thank you, holy God, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. We are grateful that you hold us fast. We thank you for this in the mighty and the beautiful name of Christ. We thank you that he comes and that he has come and he speaks a word of transformation and a word of life. We thank you this Lord's Day for the word of Christ that set the captives free and continually does. We thank you, O oh God, that that word is present in this house this morning. And God, we want to hear it deep in our bones. So we pray to you asking that you would give us, as we approach your word, eyes to see clearly and ears to hear. We pray that you would give us tender hearts that would receive your word like a seed planted in fertile soil. God, we pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will, that you would make our frame strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. And our good and our holy God, we pray this week that a word of testimony and hope, a word of life would be found on our tongues and that those words would bless other people. God, this is our prayer in the mighty name of Christ, and we pray together saying this morning, amen and amen. Please be seated. A few years back, I was invited to a meeting just across the street at the Salvation Army. The local leader of the Salvation Army was overseeing the meeting. It was a luncheon. We had, we had just shared a table of fellowship, and, 
And he was going to get up and talk about uh, some of their current uh, challenges and projects and things going on. And, and we've shared a neighborhood with the Salvation Army for many, many years. And, and uh, we, we share some of the same people as we try to minister to them in the name of Christ. And, and I've always had a, an abiding respect for the Salvation Army. But one thing I never really understood was the uniform. You know, I mean, let's just be honest about it. I never really understood the uniform. And, uh, and there he was in his, in, his, in his uniform, so proud of it. And I just never got the uniform. Uh, and, and, he, and he stood there and he said uh, about his uniform. I mean, he just, sort of, he just sort of identified the elephant in the room. He said, most of you came here, you're ministers around this community, and, and you don't wear distinctive dress like I have on today. And he said, I know a lot of you don't get it. And I was like, he's read my mind. He's read my mind. He said, but let me tell you what, what, what it does for me when I put on my uniform. He said, I, I put on my jacket in the morning, and I look in the mirror, and, and I see on my lapels two S's. And he says, and, and I just put my hand over one of those, the one on my left side, and I say, I, I've been saved by Christ. And I thank God every morning for his grace, that his grace came first into my life and that by his mercy, I have a relationship with God because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, every day when I put my jacket on, I'm reminded that Jesus is my savior. I've been saved by his grace. That's good, isn't it? And he said, and then I put my hand over the S that's on the other side on my right-hand side, and, and I look at that S, and I pat it, and I look in the mirror, and I say, I've been saved to serve, that God has given me my life, that I am his, and he is mine, and that God has given me opportunities day by day, week by week, year by year, to serve people for their good and for God's glory. So every day when I put on my jacket, I say to myself, I have been saved to serve. I tell you, that'll preach, won't it? That's wonderful. That's beautiful. It hasn't inspired me to get the jacket. (laughs) But every time I I see one, I'm reminded that, Matt, you too have been saved to serve. And this is an important part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Last week, as we introduced this sermon series on Peter, we talked about the call, the command to follow me, to come. And we learned that that command is a response to the graciousness of God. We learned that there there is a measure where there are things that we must leave behind. We must renounce some certain things if we're going to be faithful disciples of Christ. Some things we just have to lay down, even if it's just holding the things that Christ entrusts us with loosely, knowing that all things are his ultimately. And that we're called to a life of responsibility Walking as Jesus walked. This was our introduction uh, to the series on discipleship. And today the message from this story in Matthew chapter 8 is the simple message that we have been saved to serve. And that two-part message is an important thing because it, it begins with God and it ends with God and God's at work in the middle but, but it's a recognition that God's life comes into our life, and because he is so strong and good, his life can flow out of ours into the lives of other people, that we can really and truly and profoundly make a difference as we live our lives in this world. 
that part of being a disciple of Christ is to be saved by his grace. And part of being a disciple of Christ is serving other people in his name. And both of these movements are life-giving. And both of them are important. And keeping them in order is right. And for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about our call to be saved and our call to serve. I want you to look at this. This story, it's a healing story, but it's also the story of salvation. It's a story of saving. It's it's among a a bunch of stories about healing and deliverance. You see, in Jesus' world, healing and deliverance and transformation and forgiveness of sin, they weren't different category items. They were part of the same cloth. Uh, When I was a kid, my mother got really frustrated at the mounds of laundry that my brothers and I could generate. And we could could just, I mean, it looked like, boom, the house is full of cotton and it's everywhere, you know, all different colors, just everywhere. My mom got really frustrated with that and she went and she got some gigantic uh, rubber trash cans and she nailed them to the, in a fit of rage, I think, she nailed them to the wall of the laundry room and, and with marker, she wrote, and you can still sort of faintly see this on the wall. You just can't paint over this stuff. Uh, she, she wrote, like, towels, school clothes, whites. She made the categories. Uh, and our whole life, Western thinkers, uh, we're prone to put things in categories. Neat, tidy. We're bug collection people. Neat, tidy. So, so, so we divide up things like deliverance from the demonic, evil, sin, disease, sickness, all this kind of stuff. But in Jesus' world, it was just one gigantic pile. It was just one gigantic stack of problems that said things are not the way they ought to be. Something has gone wrong in, in God's world, and that something that went wrong was rebellion and sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and it touched every facet of our experience. And Jesus came as a savior to touch our physical reality and our spiritual malady and the sin sickness that weighed down our soul. He came to change us and give us a new future and a new hope. And that future and that hope is called the reign of God. And in the reign of God, there is no illness. And in the reign of God, there is no sin and shame. And in the reign of God, there is no rebellion. God's good future is one of wholeness and the restoration of shalom. But right now in this earth, in the already as we long for the not yet, we got a host of problems. And into this broken world, the Savior has come. And the Savior has come to be just that, a Savior. And so his healing and his deliverance and his forgiveness and his restoration are all part of the atoning work of the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And in the gospel stories, the healings were concrete signs pointing to the reign of Christ. That he was here to do something that was absolutely on a cosmic dimension. And to teach his intentions, he would heal broken people and point the way of his heart. 
And that's what he'd been doing. In fact, in chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, there was a leper that approached Jesus. Lepers were, were outside of the community. Lepers were outcast. Lepers were unclean. And if you touched one of them, you would be unclean too. And the leper came into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus flipped the cart. And he touched the leper. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean and diseased, the leper was made whole. And on the heels of that story, a Roman centurion approached a Jewish rabbi and said, my slave is ill, my servant is ill, and he said, uh, I need your help. She was like, okay, let's go. He said, listen, I'm under authority, and I understand authority, and I understand the, the rhythms of hierarchy. He said, Jesus, I believe this, if you'll speak the word, my servant will be made whole. And Jesus was blown away by this declaration he said, go, just as you have believed, it will be done for you. And then, then there is this woman. She is described in the text as Peter's mother-in-law. Peter had a wife. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 9 when he talked about his own rights. He said, don't I have the right to take with me a believing wife as the others and Cephas do? Literally, a sister, a sister that is a wife, someone who believes. And so, so Peter had a wife, and, and that wife had a mama, and that mama lived in the home with the wife, and, and Jesus was a hanger-out at the time, and he was probably part of the greater uh, family unit. I don't know if Peter could get any kind of tax write-off for Jesus hanging out at his house, but he was there. And they were together. And one day Jesus comes in to Peter's house. And there is that mother-in-law. And she is sick with a fever. A woman. And there's a Jewish rabbi. And there was a sick woman. He had just spoken a word and had a hands-free healing. But with her... He touched her, and she was made whole. And then the word of this spread throughout the community. And when night fell, after the Sabbath was over, the rest of them came, the sick and the demonized, the nameless crowd. After the leper, after the Roman, after the slave, after the woman, the nameless crowd was free to come to Jesus and he touched them he spoke his word and he saved them this says very plainly for us that whosoever when we read that in the Bible means whosoever that there is no category that pushes you outside of the bounds uh, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the scope of Jesus' focus and attention and love and grace. 
Being a Roman doesn't throw you outside of it. Being a woman doesn't. Being a leper doesn't. Being nameless in a crowd doesn't. And he healed them. And as he did, Matthew picked up his pen and he described the reason why. And he said, this is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And he quoted Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant and his mission in this earth. And let me read some of the verses of that great chapter of Scripture. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers in silence. So he opened not his mouth. And then in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This righteous servant, this righteous servant, this suffering servant would offer his life as an offering for sin. The just judge judged in our place to bring us to God He would bear in his own frame our iniquity, carry our shame and our sorrow and our illness. He would take it to the tree. He would take it away. And years later, as the church was was listening to the words of the epistle we call 1 Peter, they read those early church leaders write about this lesson that Peter witnessed with his eyes and read in his Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he is reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You are like sheep going astray, but you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Peter said, confronted with this beautiful Savior, that we die to sins, that we might live to righteousness. Walter Brueggemann said that Christians carry an odd baptismal identity. Buried with Christ in baptism, we are raised to walk in the newness of life. Christ died for us that we might live in his power for him and his glory. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live, and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
As Jesus walked this earth proclaiming and declaring and touching and healing, he was saying, I love you. When he went to the cross, he declared, I love you. He would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who? Whosoever. Whosoever believed in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. If you're a whosoever, it means you can be saved by this beautiful Christ. For he died for you that you might live. Have you been saved by this beautiful Savior? Have you placed your trust and your faith in him alone for all of your life? If you have, you have been raised by God's Spirit to live for righteousness. You have been saved to serve. And that's precisely what Peter's mother-in-law did. And she arose and served them. Now there's two ways to look at this. One is just a strictly, just the facts, ma'am, Joe Friday, very domestic, uh, around the house kind of thing. That she just got up and said, Jesus, would you like some falafel? Uh, how about some hummus? We got, we got fish, not as much as we used to, thanks to you, but we still got some fish. <laughs> Would you like some fish? It could have been that. And that was obviously part of it. But Kreb Longberg points out that the language of she arose to serve is consistent with descriptions of people who follow Jesus as a disciple. If this woman had a daughter who would later be described in the epistles as a sister who was also uh, a wife to Peter, one who accompanied and was part of the apostolic mission, a, a believing wife, it doesn't strain the imagination to think that if Jesus uh, was in Peter's house and Peter's wife was a follower, that, that, that she had placed her trust that, that mama didn't fall in there too. This is a multi-generational, close kind of situation. They shared lots of life together. And this woman rises up off of her bed of affliction to do what she had been doing, and that's serving the Christ whom she followed. I suggest this morning that she served them because she served him. That she followed Jesus. And out of the flow of the following came service and ministry to other people. This is, this is the basis for our serving as well. And the second thing I would point out, and I think this is important and has direct application for us, is that she served them with strength that was provided by Christ. She wasn't a naturally energetic do-gooder. She was a person that had been raised up by the mercy of God. And out of the strength that was provided to her by Christ, she was able to serve others. 
And I submit to you this morning that all authentic Christian witness and ministry, all service in his name that counts and matters, has a measure of the miraculous in it. That there is just a grace in our life that's beyond our natural abilities that comes to play that we're open and available to, that Christ strengthens us to serve others, and that he works within us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. All of us who serve Christ and serve him well and serve him faithfully find that we have to serve him with strength that God himself provides. Tomorrow is MLK holiday. In my life, I've looked back over the story of Martin Luther King Jr. a number of times. Looked at it from different angles, as a historical figure, as a pastor, as a preacher. I think the story that's most stunning to me, and the one that sticks out again and again, is a story called The Kitchen Experience of Martin Luther King. You can Google this. You can find him preaching about it. You can hear his voice talking about it. I think it strikes me because it happened when the man was 27 years of age. You remember what you were doing when you were 27? If your cardiologist walked in and said, Hi, I'm your new cardiologist. I'm 27. What would some of you do? I mean, 27 is a perfectly good age. But it's not one that we think of as super mature. 27 years of age. Pastor of the Dexter Avenue Church. You can walk out of that church, a small church, walk out the front door of that church, turn right, and you see the capital of the state of Alabama. Massive capital. Tiny church. 27-year-old pastor. Think about yourself in that position. Think about yourself, 27-year-old pastor, pastoring in the shadow of the state capitol with parishioners that are being denied daily basic dignities, like being able to ride a bus. Just basic stuff. And because you're gifted and because you're, you're, you're bright and because you're, maybe you're 27 and, and the other older guys said, let the young guy do it, I don't know. But for some reason, you find yourself at the at the very point of the phalanx. And you're being called upon when the boycott starts and, and when the temperature rises, you're called upon to offer leadership. Can you imagine yourself doing that as a 27-year-old pastor with a new wife and a little bitty baby at home? A baby. One night, this young pastor who pastored that little church in the shadow of that great Capitol building one night he got a phone call. He'd had them before. You got three days or we'll put a bullet in your brain and blow up your house. 27 years of age. The young preacher went and made a pot of coffee. Middle of the night. Sometimes you know you're just not going back to sleep, so you'll go ahead and make the coffee. We've all been there. He went and made a pot of coffee, and he sat in his little kitchen, and he stared at the cup, and he didn't drink the coffee, 
And he put his face in his hands. And he would say, I'm at the end of my powers, God. I have come to the point where I can't face this alone. And the testimony that he gave, and he would give it again and again, was that God met him at that kitchen table. And he found in that moment that the divine was the power that could make a way when there was no way. And this would become the watchword of his life. His very short life. And it would sustain him. And it came from without. It wasn't summoned from within. And everybody who serves Christ in this world will find that moment, that place where your heart and your flesh fail. It may be the season of your life where you're walking through a diagnosis, not for you, but for someone you love. It could be a challenge with a child. It could be poverty and setback. In everybody's life, there comes to a moment when you're just completely out of gas. I've heard people say I could buy every hospital in Texas. I can't buy help for my baby. We come to our end. And at our end, at that point of extremity, in our honesty as disciples of Jesus, what we find is the God that raises the dead. So our hearts may fail and our flesh certainly will, but our God is incapable of failing us because he is holding us fast. And in this earth, we can serve others because the God of Easter and the Exodus provides us the strength and the power we need to serve him in this earth. So as we come to the point of decision in this service, I would ask you very directly, have you personally committed your, Christ, your life to Christ? Is he your savior? He is the savior. If you're a whosoever, you can come. If his spirit is at work in your life and you're watching by television or you're watching online, reach out to us. Write the email. Make the phone call this week. We'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. But if you're in this room and you've never trusted Christ, don't leave this room today without, without talking to somebody about that. And friends, if you have, and many of us have, and each day we live with gratitude because of his saving mercy and grace, that we're counting on him and ourselves, if he is your savior, as you stand to sing this song, arise and serve them because you are serving him. Who's them? I don't know. That's God's business and yours, the people he puts in your life, the doors he opens with your friends and your relatives and your associates, your coworkers, your neighbors, those little divine encounters, the opportunities you have to serve within his 
church. I don't know who the them is for you, but God does. And he'll make that clear to you. If he's your savior, as you stand to sing, stand to serve them because you serve him. God's at work all over this world. It's a wonderful time to join him in it. So as you arise to sing, arise to serve him. Let's stand and sing now and respond as God would lead you.